0: I want to head back to when you were five. You've dreamed about this for a very long time. Tell me about one of your earliest memories that you have of when it clicked in that this would be cool to do.
1: Absolutely. I think my first um, ever inclination that that music is is what I wanted to make a career out of was I was five years old and I went with my aunt and my cousin to... The Garth Brooks concert, it was the Savas Center uh, back then. I I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and we went and saw him play and just seeing the way that he captivated an audience and the way that he performed. I remember the one part that made me think like, hey, this is who I want to be when I grow up is he used to run and jump off of the stage and he had a harness. That would swing him around the crowd so he would fly up to in this arena there was the um seats the general admission level and then there were seats and uh more seats and then the nosebleeds as well (laughs) right and he would fly i mean over the first over the general admission but over the first row of seats and i remember thinking this is the coolest thing i've ever seen in my life so in kindergarten you know the teachers always ask you to draw what you want to be when you grow up and you know the kids next to me would be a doctor a lawyer firefighter policeman and mine was always a rock star
0: that is awesome i saw that he was your first concert and i did not think it was going to be that early i didn't think you were going to be that young that is like the most awesome first concert you could ever think
1: of it is and i've just been trying to beat it ever since and it's uh it is very hard to do, but I'm I'm actually surprised that my parents let me go to a concert at five years old, but they trusted my, yeah. my aunt enough to, to take care of me.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. And let's talk about your parents for a minute. You are like a lot of country musicians. Their parents, I find, dad, classic rock, and mom, country. That is how a lot of artists have grown up, and that's the same with you, right? Your Absolutely, parents yeah. So right?
1: dad... Dad listened to I mean Bruce Springsteen, Prince, um Elton John, um I mean all of that style of music, Santana and just he had a a he was genreless. He listened to to pretty much anything um if it had real instruments in it. Then the 90s pop world, he was always listening to that as well. He loved Matchbox 20 and Goo Goo Dolls and stuff like oh, that. Okay. And I think that's where my dad and I had our first, um, you know, uh, common music uh, avenue was was in the, the 90s rock world. And mom listened to strictly 90s country so it was (laughs) it was garth brooks george Strait, uh alan jackson travis trick clint black um shania and all of that stuff and so it really kind of i joke that it depended on who took me to school that day on what i was listening to it was either going to be rock or it was going to be country music and i i was a very weird i loved was obsessed with music at at a very early age and i think i was the only probably Second grader that had the Prince album uh, that I would listen to writing to and from, uh, or I guess writing from school to uh, daycare while my parents worked. (laughs)
0: And that's another thing I was going to ask you about. And another thing that seems really young is that (laughs) Prince connection. And you would listen to that on your cassette tape or CD, your Walkman. My Walkman, yeah. Now talk about your connection to that at that point. Were you connected to like the musicality or the lyrics or was it just everything in general?
1: It was absolutely musicality Uh, at that point I really didn't pay much attention to what uh, the lyrics were saying, probably at least in regards to Prince songs, because I didn't understand at that age what any of the stuff meant. Yeah, um, exactly. Until I got older and I look back and I'm just like, you you think of the subtle uh, similes and the, just the things that he uses, the words that he uses to describe things. Um <laughs> I mean, in, in Little Red Corvette, everybody thinks that that song is a is about a Corvette, and it's really, really not. Um, but at that age, you know, at, at eight years old, seven years old, I didn't really pick up on those, those subtleties. Uh, so it was definitely the guitar playing. It was definitely his voice and his melodies that carried me. Um, when Doves Cry is one of my favorite songs ever, and just the way that he was – um blending so much at that time to make him his own little genre was incredible
0: and you talked about your connection with your dad and sort of the 90s rock another connection i saw you had was you would go with him to the cd store every (laughs) saturday to pick out one new cd and one used cd and i was wondering how that influenced your music because I imagine that helped you get into a lot more genres rather than just like waiting for your favorite cd to come out and running out to the store to get it you were going every Saturday so I imagine you were mixing things up
1: yeah so it might have been every other Saturday but oh, okay. uh, yeah we, we went all the time uh there was a cd warehouse which sold new and used cds cassettes albums eight tracks they had everything. Uh, and it was five minutes from my house. So I played a lot of sports growing up and coming home from whether it was baseball at the time or soccer at the time, uh, driving home from those games, we would stop and and I'd pick out a CD and yeah, they, they had everything. So it was kind of cool to be able to get that. And at that point they sold singles on CD, which was Uh, the single that they were pushing and then maybe one other song on that CD or two other songs. So I got a lot of those. But one thing that that actually made me do more often is my dad made me listen top to bottom. So you couldn't skip any songs. The first time through, you had to listen to it as the artist wanted you to hear it. Um, And I thought that was really cool because growing up, some of my favorite songs are the B-sides, on some of these albums the ones that weren't single that didn't get you know the major airplay but were written so well and so perfectly uh so that was definitely one of those things that i took away from going and buying cds with my dad
0: (laughs) and when did the playing start when did you start picking up your dad's acoustic (sighs)
1: so it's kind of funny i tried one summer to uh to have my dad, cause he could kind of strum a few chords and stuff. But, uh, um, I didn't really pay attention very well as a, as a young kid. So he tried to sit me down and teach me guitar one time, and we both failed miserably at that. Uh, so I kind of let it sit, collect dust for a while. And one summer I was hanging out with some kids from the, and one of the guys had a bass guitar. And I was like, well, I've got a electric guitar. Maybe we can start a band. And uh, as I'm using that very liberally, um, but we just started playing together. And there was this website called MX tabs that you could go on and learn how to play all of these songs. And it would show you where to put your fingers on which fret. And um, so I learned a lot of like blink 182 songs. Oh, okay. Uh, and he learned the the bass for that. So, "Damn It" by Blink One Eighty Two was my the first song that I ever learned on guitar. Uh, and we just kind of played in his basement for a while. And that's really what it was for a very long time. I would just hang out, play in the garage, or play in uh, you know a friend's basement or something like that. And we didn't really ever take it seriously. And then one day, my mom came home from work. And she said that one of her coworkers' nephews was in a band and they were looking for a lead singer. Right. And she volunteered me to be that lead singer for the band. And that led to me being in a rock band for, I guess, two years, my junior and senior year of high school. And that was the first time that I had played out on a stage with a, a band or anything and we started playing around the st louis area and played all of the the local dives and, and places that you could play in st louis and we started playing battle of the bands and uh it was awesome because we kept winning all of these battle of the bands against uh we did one that the radio station at the time hosted and we were going up against grown men and being you know juniors or seniors in high school it was kind of awesome to be playing these shows and it was never really the music that i wanted to play but that was my first time ever stepping out on a stage ever having a band practice ever doing uh, a full set with a band so i am very very thankful that my mom uh volunteered me for the lead singer position uh when i was a, a junior in high school and then we all kind of broke up because we all went to college and i think three of the guys went to the same school and they've started a a band since but i went down to oxford mississippi and studied studied marketing at Ole miss and i realized that they give you free beer if you play at the bars down there okay and being a college student uh you know that's one less thing that you have to pay for is incredible so i started playing At, I think my first gig was on a Thursday night at uh, a local pizza place, and it was an open mic night. And uh, I remember the guy who was hosting it came up to me, and I invited all of my friends that I could out. And so we showed up, they showed out. We probably had 100, 120 people there. And so the guy walked up to me and said, Hey, you know, I was gonna have you go first, but since you brought all these people in here, we're going to have you go last, and then you can play as long as you want. right. And uh, you know, in my head, I was like, "This is awesome. Uh, I'm doing great, but looking back at it now, he just wanted to sell as many drinks as he could, all <laughs> yeah, exactly. my friends and keep, keep them in there. in there.: Yeah, it, it made him look better. Um, and so I went on last, and I probably played like an hour, hour and a half that night, and that led to me playing there every Thursday night, which was uh, pretty cool.
0: Now, was that country that you're playing? Like, how did the how did it swing into the country? If you were in the rock band in high school, the classic rock with your dad, how did you eventually swing into that country music performing?
1: So it was actually when I was in the rock band, all I really listened to was country music. Uh, I remember I was riding home from school one day. There was a kid that was a grade older than me that used to drive me home after football practice because I didn't have my license yet. So he would drive me home and he listened to nothing but country as well, just like my mom. And I remember Summertime by Kenny Chesney came on. And that was the first song that I was like, wait a minute. This is on the country radio station. This isn't the same you know, country that my mom was listening to. This is I can relate to this. Right. i got a you bottle on my floorboard right now or on your floorboard right now. Um, so that was the first time that I was, that I really dove right back into country music. And from my sophomore year to today, it has been country music.
0: And so when did the Nashville itch come in then?
1: That was, I probably was a junior in college. Um, maybe a sophomore or a junior in college and I got really lucky because I was in college during the time where Luke Bryan and Eric Church were just making names for themselves. So they would come play my little college town, and the first time they came, they'd maybe sell 250, 300 tickets. The next time, maybe 700, and then the third time, they sold the place out. And so I I was a huge country fan, huge Luke fan, huge Eric fan, and they were always coming out of Nashville. All of these country acts were coming out of Nashville. Uh, and so that's where I think the first time it uh, the light bulb went off and said, I need to move to Nashville. If, if this is what I want to do and really dive in, I need to move to Nashville. And so mom and dad said that I needed to get my degree. And as soon as I got my degree, I could go do whatever I wanted. So spent five years in college, maybe a little longer than they would have liked me to spend in college. But I guess it was four or six days after graduation. I left my everything packed up and moved to Nashville.
0: And that was 2013, right? When you that moved I was 2013,
1: down? January. Yes. Yeah.
0: And so what was that like? What were your initial feelings? Because going from just seeing these guys and thinking, oh, Nashville would be cool to actually being there. Was it a culture shock
1: for you? It was because, I mean, I was a big fish in a small pond in Oxford, Mississippi. It is a very musical town, but it's a lot of blues music and nobody's really trying to do country music. So I was a a big fish in a small pond and then I moved to Nashville and I remember the first day I moved to town, I drove down Music Row and uh, seeing all of the number one signs that are outside of all the publishing houses and record labels and stuff, I was... I thought I was in over my head. I was nervous. I was like, what am I doing here? Uh, I don't know if I'll ever make a career playing music, but I knew that this is where I needed to be if I wanted to try at least.
0: And where was your songwriting at that point? Cause that sort of began in high school, middle school. So at that point when you were moving down to Nashville, how like where in your mind was your songwriting?
1: I had, I had a few songs in my back pocket, but, um, I am thankful that hopefully nobody has, has heard those. Um, but it was getting there. Um, it was still very, very beginner level trying to find words that rhyme and all of that stuff. But, uh. But I had been writing for a, for a long time. I, I think I wrote my first song when I was in high school, and then in college I was writing quite often. And you know, you move to town, and everybody says, "Go to writers' rounds, go play uh, open mic nights, and meet as many people as you can." So when I moved to town, that was the first thing that I started doing: playing all of the open mic nights that I could, all of the writers' rounds that I could, and trying to grow my my writing circle uh, as much as I could. And I, I hope that uh, it has, my songwriting has gotten better since I've been in town.
0: And now you released an EP in September of that year, 2013. Or you recorded an EP and you got the physical copies at your house anyways. <laughs> yes. Wh- where did it go? Because it's funny, I talked to other musicians who they record these, EP CDs right when they get to Nashville. Cause they're so excited, but then they sign a deal or they move on and those CDs always get forgotten about. And so it's kind of like, you should maybe tell people don't rush into it because that <laughs> CD is just going to get lost in the end.
1: Yes. So um, with
0: that one, how far did you carry that?
1: So I actually, I got very lucky uh, with some people that I met when I first moved to town and I was playing all of these shows. I never wanted to do anything outside of music when I moved to Nashville. So that meant, you know, going out and playing shows. I did Broadway a few times, but I had made connections both in Oxford, Mississippi and in St. Louis and actually across the river in Granite city, Illinois, which is where a lot of my family is from and made connections with bar owners there. So I, if I needed to pay rent, I'd call them up and say, Hey, can I play like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, make enough to pay my rent? And then I'd come back to Nashville. So oh, okay. that's where I sold all of the CDs, but I was very lucky that I met uh Tombo who is an incredible musician and he actually plays bass in Florida, Georgia line. And we were talking one day and I was like, Hey, I've got some songs that I would love to record. Uh, he was just trying to get his feet wet recording some songs. So he, uh, while they were out on the road, you know, in dressing rooms and stuff like that, he would travel with his little rig and play bass and guitar and play almost all of the instruments on uh, that first EP. And I remember we actually cut the vocals in his apartment in his, I want to say it was his laundry room. He built a little like vocal booth in his laundry room and I had a towel over my head singing into the microphone. So. It was definitely a really, really cool time um, to be able to make music that way. And I know it's something that I will never forget, but I am very glad that that EP is uh, sitting, collecting dust in my old bedroom at my parents'
0: house. <laughs> How many copies do you still have? Do you have like boxes full? We have,
1: we have boxes. I think uh, <laughs> there was a deal if you ordered a thousand. So if for every, for the more that you ordered, there was a price break. Right. Yeah. And so the, I think my dad found out that the best price break was right around a thousand copies. Uh, <laughs> and I think I maybe sold a hundred, 150.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: We'll have to mail you a signed one.
0: Yes, please, please do. That would be amazing. Don't I would open love it. it. Don't <laughs> no, I'll just put it right behind me on the shelf. So you yes. can just see it sitting there. <laughs> and so when you arrived in Nashville, You performed a lot wherever you could. You also had the songwriting. So how important was it for that start of your career to have both? Do you think if you just went as a performer, you would be where you are today? You would have made it in Nashville? Or did that really help you get established?
1: Absolutely, it helped me get established. Um, It was kind of funny because when I moved to town, some of the best advice that anyone ever gave me was, to tell my truth and write about what I know. Um, and at the time, Cruise was the biggest song ever. Right? right When I moved to town, Cruise was blowing up. And I love Cruise. I think it is a phenomenal song. It's just not how I grew up. Growing up in St. Louis, it's not necessarily what you think of as the you know country music capital of the world. But I grew up loving country music and I knew that I wanted to stay true to who I was and write what I know about. And that's what kind of helped me in different writing rooms is bringing that little bit of myself into the room. And I'm very, very lucky that I got to focus on writing because... It was a part that every artist and every songwriter is different and they all have their own truth. And that's what makes them unique. And that's what I felt was so special about getting to hone that craft um, in different writing rooms with people that were better than me, with people that were worse than me, um, and being able to put my little spice on the song that day
0: and you didn't grow up with dirt roads, so you don't necessarily have that perspective, but you did work on a farm quite a bit when you were young during the summer. So I did. does that experience help you just kind of create those dirt road moments in your music?
1: I think so. And, um, I mean, that what I spent my entire summer between my junior year and senior year and senior year and freshman year, and freshman year of college working on that farm. And, uh, that way of living um is something that i would not be able to write the songs that i write if i hadn't have lived through that Mm -hmm. um if i hadn't have been up at 4 a.m you know driving 45 minutes away from the city to go to work and working all day plowing the field weed whacking um doing manual labor for 10 hours a day making next to nothing um so and all we did out there was listen to country music fish and drink beer right so it was i mean every that's every country song i know i was just gonna say
0: that's the song (laughs) yes that is awesome. And two years after you were there, after cutting your teeth, in April of 2015, you had the chance to play your first CMA Fest. Now, experiences like that, what did those mean to you back then? And just giving you that boost of confidence to say, okay, I'm on the right path We're doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, they... they- absolutely do that as you know you move to Nashville and you kind of have this bucket list of of shows and venues that you want to play in this incredible city and yeah I remember when we got that first call that we were playing CMA Fest it was uh it was pretty cool because you don't think you know that you you're progressing when you progress in something like this where the objectives aren't very tangible it's hard to, or it's easy to lose sight of the progress. So little things like that, like you said, make you, they, they show you that you are making progress in town. You are being noticed and, um, you know, you are making it, you are doing everything to give yourself those opportunities, which is awesome. And yeah, getting, getting that call was incredible.
0: Yeah, and a couple of months after that, as a songwriter, you had Clark Mason release track nine that you were a co-writer on. So as a songwriter at that point, is that just that little extra juice? Because that was your first cut that went to radio, right?
1: It was, yes, sir. So yeah, that w- that was awesome as well. And the fact that I didn't realize how close they were, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it was it a was, uh, boom, boom. So I had... One saying, hey, you know, your artist stuff is doing really well. And then another one that says, hey, your songwriting is doing really well as well. And that was awesome. Just to have an artist um, like something enough that they want to put their little spin on it and they want to take it into the studio and make it their own is an incredible feeling. And like you said, yeah, it it definitely gives you that boost of confidence that you are and you're moving in the right direction.
0: And then a year later... You have Man Enough Now. Now, what was it about that song at that point, after being there for four years and not releasing any music next to that EP that you did? What was it about that song and that time that you were like, let's just put it out. Let's not wait till we have an EP or an album. Let's just throw this song out.
1: I think it was, I had an aha moment where I, we had written the song and I heard it and I was like, this is me. This is where I want to take my artistry. This is, if I could have one first impression and throw all my chips on the table, this is the song that I wanna do that with. And it was funny because I believe we wrote that song, not too far after uh, we wrote track nine. Yeah. And it was, it was very early in the writing days with Jason Massey, who at the time was working on producing a girl named Kelsey Bellarini. Um, okay. and he had just signed his first publishing deal at Olay. And I think, you know, the, the higher ups at Olay kind of put me with him cause I was taking some meetings there and he was their new guy. So if it went well, they were going to look like geniuses for putting us together. <laughs> right. And if it didn't go well, then, um, you know it was really no skin off their back because they're going to be getting him in with a bunch of other writers and so we kind of hit it off the first day that we wrote and I, I i think track nine was the first song that he and i ever wrote together and so he told me jason massey said that uh you know he's got this friend that he writes really well with named jason duke and he was wondering if i wanted to bring him in to write a song together and i said absolutely because at this time i'm still Green still new to town. I want to meet as many people as I can. Yeah, And so I said, absolutely, let's do it. And I think the first song that we wrote was Man Enough Now, all three of us together. And I remember throwing that idea out there and both the Jasons loved it. And it was one of those songs that kind of just fell out in the writing room. I think we were done within an hour and a half. And at the time, we were playing all of these shows everywhere that we could for no money, just to get our name out there. What was funny is we didn't have anything to leave um, the crowd with other than, hey, go like us on Facebook or check out our Instagram. So we didn't have anything that we could say, hey, go listen to us and tell your friends about us. So we knew that we had to get music out. But at this point, I had no management, no publishing deal, nothing. I was just kind (laughs) of floating with the breeze. Right, and uh, we just decided one day that we were gonna try to make this little mocked up rollout plan and see what happened, and just throw it out there into the world. And that's kind of what we did. I had a, gr- I have a great friend, Dustin Haney, uh, who is a videographer director, and we took maybe three weeks to kind of roll out the, the, the that the single was dropping, and then we put it out. Into the world and people started listening to it. They started streaming it and sharing it and uh, you know, coming to shows and singing it back to us, which is an incredible feeling. And, you know, there's a saying in Nashville that three minutes can change your life, and that absolutely did for me because it got me my my publishing deal, it got me management, it got me my record deal, and it completely changed my world.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was gonna ask. Like, I don't know if there can ever be a point where you feel like I've made it in Nashville? Because when you hit one mark, you just have to keep working harder. It almost gets harder and harder to do it. So like when that hit, did you feel like I've made it and that I'm established here enough that if I work hard, this is now my career?
1: Yes, there were certain things that were not obtainable before we released the song that now we're getting to play these awesome festivals. Um, we're getting to open up for acts on th- oh, throughout the country on, uh, at certain venues and stuff that we couldn't get into before. Right. Um, and it's funny. I remember the, I guess maybe a month before we had re- released man enough now, I tell this story all the time, but I, I love this story. So I'm, I'm going to tell it again. I remember being at the bar and having to check my bank account to see if I had enough money in there to buy one more beer at the bar. Really? That point I did not. And so, um, I guess about two, three months later when man enough started getting streamed and stuff like that. And I didn't have to check my bank account before ordering a bar that or before ordering a drink. That was um first time where I was like, okay, I I'm doing something right.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And so you throughout the next couple of years, you released a couple of singles. So when was it that you really started focusing on putting together an EP?
1: Honestly, I think that. My focus was always on recording an EP and writing an EP. Right. Um, being out on the road as often as we were, and then signing my first publishing deal and stuff like that, kind of I don't want to say they were a roadblock, but you know, when you get signed as a writer, you make money by other people cutting your songs and singling them and and going to radio with them. So for a while, you know, I kind of focused on writing for other people. And it wasn't until my, I guess I I signed my record deal was when uh, I was like, okay, now I can stop focusing on trying to, you know, get the next Luke Bryan single or the next uh, Chris Lane single or something like that. I can focus on writing the songs that I want to write, saying what I want to say as an artist and putting them together in a collection of songs that I feel proud of.
0: And coming into the album as a songwriter, you wrote a handful of them, but you also had some that others had wrote. So how important was it to not just go into it saying, I'm a songwriter, I'm writing all these songs and that's it but to also have that open mind to finding those other songs that maybe you didn't have a part in writing.
1: Absolutely, I think I am a big proponent to the best song always wins. There are so many songs floating around Nashville that are incredible songs um, that hopefully one day I will be lucky enough to to go into the studio and record. but. I mean, I've seen guys make careers out of songs that they didn't write. Kenny Chesney, Jason Aldean, George Strait. I mean, these guys, Tim McGraw, all have 20-plus years playing music by singing songs that they did not write. Right. Um, So I like to stick with... I want to feel the song. I want it to be, I want to relate to the song and I want it to be true to who I am before I go in and record it. But uh, yeah, to me, it's never been, I need to write everything on the album because there are so many incredible songwriters in Nashville that, you know, on a Thursday, Friday, when I'm in South Carolina and North Carolina playing shows, they're in town writing and trying to write the best song. So um, yeah, I am, I am 100% all four songwriters and, um, and recording outside songs.
0: And so February 25th of 2020, even before you release your EP, you have the chance to play the Opry. Now, what did that mean after all those years of cutting your teeth, playing every venue you could to finally play really the Holy Grail?
1: It was a feeling that I really can't even put into words. Um, you know that the Grand Ole Opry is the pinnacle of country music. Uh-huh. And um, you know how important, when you moved to Nashville, you know how important it's not only to country music, but to music as a whole. And the fact that I was invited to go play and walk out onto that stage is something that I will never, ever forget and never, ever take for granted. And I remember I invited my mom and dad, my girlfriend's family came down. um, My drummer who grew up listening to the Opry every Saturday with his grandpa, his mom and dad got to come down. So we definitely made a, a family affair of it. And it was so funny because, you know, when i pulled up and walked in and everyone was so happy and thankful that i was there and in my head i'm thinking i'm i'm nobody thank you so much for inviting me for letting me do this um but yeah it was definitely one of those bucket list venues to play and i remember i bet that the people in the first three rows could probably see my heart just pounding out of my chest as i walked to that circle um, I hope we get to play it many, many more times, but it was it was something that I will never, ever forget.
0: And then three, yeah, three short months later, you get to finally release your first EP. What was that moment like in finally getting it out to the world? Was it a nerve-wracking experience that night when it was released?
1: It was... Um... I think we had some special circumstances when we released uh, this EP because the world was shut down. Um, it came out May of 2020, and you know when we had recorded everything, gone into the studio, we never saw what happened coming. Right, um, and so we were out playing shows. I think we were in Boston when we got sent back to Nashville and everybody kind of reverted to the Facebook lives and the Instagram lives and stuff like that. And I kind of saw at that point in time how much people were needing music because music is one of those things that you can put on your favorite album and for 45 minutes, you don't have to deal with bills or taxes or anything else going on outside a global pandemic. All you really care about is that 30 minutes and those songs. And we kind of saw how much people were needing music. And so we had a plan to release it a little bit later in the summer, I think probably August or September. And I said, well, why don't we just, why don't we bump it up? Why don't we put it out just a little bit earlier? Because I feel like this is going to help some people. It's, It's what everyone needs. And I'm lucky that I had a team that was willing to, make sure every I was dotted and T was crossed before we released this, because it was pretty scary to release something when you couldn't go tour and play these songs live. Um, but they did an amazing job making sure that, uh, it didn't fall on deaf ears.
0: And you weren't able to go tour it, but the first single would have loved her. Do you think that maybe hit a bit harder because of the kind of digital reach it had and at that moment you know people I think were really thinking about family they were thinking about those connections because they had lost them and so do you think that maybe helped that song in people responding to it and reacting to it
1: I had never thought of that, but I I do think so because like you said, we weren't seeing our loved ones. We were getting to talk to them on the phone, but we couldn't have that contact um, with them that we were so used to. So I definitely feel like 2020 was an emotional year for a lot of people and to, to put out a, a tearjerker at that time may have worked in my benefit. Um, But that was a song I was thinking about my grandpa who passed away about six months before I met my girlfriend. And I knew that had he been around and had he gotten to meet her, that he would have loved her as much as I do. And I remember I had that title in my phone for a very long time. And I was writing one day with a good friend of mine who lives right up the street, Zach Kale. And I kind of told him, about my side of the story and how i wanted to write the song and how i saw it going and uh he told me that his father actually passed away before he met his wife and we both kind of knew that that was the song that we needed to write that day and i'm very glad that uh that zach dug deep on that one and we wrote it uh that day because you know he could have passed on it and said i want to write a song about beer or, or drinking or parties. And I'm very right. glad that he he took a chance and, and dug deep on that one with me.
0: And now what did your grandpa mean for your career? Like, was he a big country fan when you played the Opry? Would that have meant something to him?
1: Absolutely. He was the proudest man of, uh, you know, my musical career and just following my dreams. Uh, really. So, I remember there was a little bar, one of the places where I got my start called Sue's Corner in Granite City, Illinois, and my grandma and grandpa lived right up the street. I mean, you could, they could have probably walked there if they wanted to. And I played there shoot at least once a month, maybe once every other month, but a Friday and Saturday night. And they were there front row every single night. 1am would start creeping around and grandma would be whispering in in my grandpa's ear that it's probably time to go. Uh, But he would stay there the entire night, listen to me play. And he was, he was very proud that I was following my dreams and doing what I loved to do.
0: That is awesome. And I've taken up a lot of your time, but I have one more question. Absolutely. I can do this all night. I think it's an important one growing up in St. Louis Nelly listening to Nelly's music his first album I know you had the thing memorized (laughs) and last year I believe it was I think it was 2020 I don't think we were in 2021 yet you had the chance to write with him yes now what was that experience like
1: I mean if you would have told 10 year old me that one day I would get to write a song with Nelly I would have told you that you were crazy (laughs) Um, luckily we got to write right before everything shut down It was a full circle moment i mean like you said i knew every word to the country grammar album way before i probably should have known every word (laughs) to that album um i had a buddy's older brother burn me a a copy of it so i'm sorry for pirating your music nelly i will go buy a copy tonight just to make up for it Um, but it was something i remember i got the call from my manager actually who said hey Uh, we've got to write with Nelly if you want it. And I was like, you're joking. He's like, no. But it was on a Sunday, and we had played Minneapolis the night before. So I had to hop on a flight at like 4 a.m. to fly back to Nashville just to make it in time. And he was awesome to work with, awesome to hang around with. We got to talk about St. Louis. I you know, probably fanboyed out a little bit. Um, But there was one point where he, wanted, he actually wanted me to sing on the chorus of the song that we had written with him. And okay. so there's a point where he's holding a microphone right here, I'm singing right here, and he's singing right here, and Nelly's holding the microphone. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm singing on a song with Nelly, and Nelly's holding the microphone for me. This is the craziest life that I get to live day in and day out. Uh, so it was definitely a full circle moment. And... Uh, to be able to write a song with him, to be able to have his number in my phone now is something that I never thought was going to be a possibility.
0: That is awesome. Well, it's amazing to see your journey, the way it's gone, and just see the success that you've been able to have.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me on. This was awesome. Thank you.
0: Oh, no problem. Thank you. And I am going to follow up and see if I can get one of those CDs sent to me
1: absolutely i think i know somebody that can make that happen
0: that gives me the idea of everyone i interview now if they had an independent release before they moved to nashville it's gonna be back up here on the counter gonna
1: start a collection
0: exactly
1: gonna be worth a lot of money one day hopefully well, not mine but the other people's
0: oh i'm sure yours will be too <laughs> and what are the tour plans you got stuff finally moving right
1: Yes. It is incredible. We are back out on the road. It feels amazing to be able to walk back out onto a stage. Um, It is something that, you know, you never think that music is going to be taken away from you the way that it was. I am never going to take another show for granted. Does not matter when it is, where it is. Um, But I am so excited to be back out with my band, playing shows, seeing people again. Um, so it feels, it feels so good.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine you'll be sitting down much for the next year at least. Nope. Right?
1: <laughs> nope. And busy is good. So I am, I'm thankful that my booking agents have, uh, been keeping us very busy and, uh, keeping us out on the road. So tour dates are at chrisbandy.com. Um, and hopefully we're going to be coming to a city near every listener.
0: I'm sure you will be. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I loved being on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no problem. And we'll look forward to tour dates. And I guess there won't be much new music because you'll probably be too busy on the road to think about recording until a few months away, anyways.
1: Well, luckily, we uh, spent all of 2020 writing. So, uh, right. So, you got in your back pocket, right? You've got 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 some stuff in the back pocket. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, we will look forward to that then.
1: Perfect. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much.